This is the Living Artisanal Podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today focuses on Matthew 25, 31-46, where Jesus talks about the separation of the sheep and the goats. Together, we will be discussing Christ's call to remain focused on Him and to rest in the peace of knowing that He is our just advocate. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, back with you this week uh, as we continue working through Matthew. Um, Just as a quick reminder, last week we focused on Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, so kind of the middle chunk of uh, Matthew 25, where Jesus shares uh, the parable of the bags of gold. And with that parable, we as a group discussed... Um, this idea of faithful life stewardship as we await the return of Christ. Uh, this week, we're going to finish up with Matthew 25, uh, specifically looking at verses 31 through 46. And in, in this passage, um, Jesus shares a final parable uh, about the sorting of the sheep and the goats on the last day when the Son of Man comes. And so, uh, I believe today we have Brittany reading for us. So Brittany, would you mind reading Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46? Yes, Matthew 25, 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger, and invite you in, or naked, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick, or in prison, and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, you accursed people it is the internal eternal fire which has been prepared for your for the devil and his angels for i was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat i was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink i was a stranger and you did not invite me in naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me then they themselves also will answer lord When did we see you hungry or thirsty or as a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them. Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it for the one of the least of these, you did not do it for me either. These will go away until eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. All right. Thank you for that, uh, Brittany. Um, as we jump into the the conversation, um, I think it would be appropriate, kind of like last week, bridging 
um, this parable with what has come before um, in this conversation in Matthew 25. And it seems as though, um, well, and I guess even Matthew 24, it, it seems as though each of the stories as we have gone along, each of the parables, each of the the conversation points that Jesus has had as we have moved through these uh, two chapters, 24 and 25, have um, almost functioned as a funnel where we are getting narrower and narrower, where Jesus starts with kind of big ideas, big understandings, general statements, and now we're starting to work into a more specific and pointed conversation on, uh, I guess for lack of a better word, the expectations um, that uh, maybe exist for us as we live in this here and now time. Last week we talked about how, you know, the, the kingdom of heaven is coming, but it's also here and now. And so as we live here and now, what does it look like for us to participate in that kingdom? And so last week, the the general conversation, I know we had some more focused individual conversations that happened. Um, really, we, we keyed in a lot on, you know, what we understand about Jesus and who we believe Jesus to be really informs how we behave in the world. Um, this week, we're going to take a step further, it, it, it would seem, through this story where instead of this general idea of there's an expectation of increase, right? You have X amount of talents and um, there's this expectation that you are going to take those talents and not just bury them and and hide them away, but you're going to use them to further the kingdom. Um, we're going to look at maybe what it looks like to use the talents to to actually participate in the kingdom here and now with this parable of Jesus. So I think in light of what you've just shared, Nick, um, when we look at specifically what it is that Jesus is using as classifications for the righteous or unrighteous or the sheep or the goats, um, he gives some really specific directives of, or maybe some signposts of things that we can look for as actions that are the result of this inward heart, um, which the inward heart would be one of one of service and one of humility. And you see that Jesus points, he really goes over this list twice. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, we're looking at things like seeing the hungry and feeding them, providing uh, shelter or a place of rest or a place of peace, a place of sanctuary for the stranger, giving clothes, meeting, meeting physical, tangible needs of people. Um, he talks about the sick and about the imprisoned and how these things are important markers of what is the result or what we've talked about, what is the fruit Mm-hmm. of good root. And so not that these are the things we should necessarily strive for in and of themselves, but these are the things that naturally pour out of a righteous heart. And so, um, yeah, so I think, I think to, to add to your point that this, this discussion on the sheep and the goats this week um, kind of puts some practical 
examples to, well, what does it mean to use these talents well? Like what we talked about last week. And so this gives some practical examples of what, what I think we alluded to last week, but maybe didn't specifically spell out. Jesus goes ahead and does that for us here. Mm -hmm. With that, uh, let's just jump into our conversation. What are you guys seeing? What are the thoughts that you have? Observations? Uh, what do we got? So I think right just from the get-go, I look, and as as we began reading from verse 31 to 33, uh, this first little paragraph here, it's a description of the coming of the day of the Lord. And it's just it, to envision this, you have the son of man coming in all of his glory, right? So I imagine like bright, vibrant lights. Um, and he's, his angels are everywhere. They're surrounding him. And he's seated on a throne that is more glorious than I could ever describe. And so I'm just picturing the magnificence of this. And I think, I think then I turn and I look and I see that there is nation upon nation and not just like the current nations, but like generation of upon generation of all the people who have ever been in the world. And it's just overwhelming. And I think I'm just like, just completely awestruck just by where we start here in this, this conversation of the sheep and the goats. Yeah. And I think that at this judgment day that Matthew is painting, there is some very intentional uh, connecting that he does And really Matthew um, as the gospel author does this, pretty regularly throughout uh, the Gospels, or the Gospel, where he th- there's a lot of um, like calling back to and referencing Old Testament passages and bringing them forward and framing Christ in those passages. And just in this small, what, one, two, three verses, uh, 31 through 33, that is painting the, the picture of the Day of the Lord, like you were saying, um, we have one, two, three, four that I made note of references back to different Old Testament passages that point to or explain or describe what things are going to be like on that divine day of judgment. And and so like you, um, the first, first verse, you have Daniel chapter seven when it's kind of talking about... Um, all authority and power being placed in God's hand or being in God's hand. And then you have uh, Zechariah um, 14 when it talks about um, the God sitting and seated on the throne. You have Joel 3 when it talks about all the nations are going to be gathered around. And then you have Ezekiel 34 when it frames God as like as the shepherd who, who separates um, the sheep and the goats. And so when I think about it like that, like Matthew in the telling of the story, as Jesus is telling this parable is setting the stage for this continued communication that Jesus himself is, is God. Like this is, it, this is kind of taking a big step back. Um, and I believe we have had this conversation before in the podcast. Maybe not because we've been in Matthew for much longer than we've been doing the podcast. But one of the main purposes of Matthew in writing the gospel, the way that he wrote the gospel, was to communicate to those who were listening or hearing or reading that 
Jesus is in fact the God of Israel and, and, and holding that together. And because there, at the time there was some attempt at separating the two, that Jesus was some new dude on the scene that is trying to assume being God and, and he's really not God. And so you need to distance yourself from that understanding. And so Matthew is, is bringing in passages. So like Daniel and, and Joel and Ezekiel and, and Zechariah, um, and that, that people would have been very familiar with that people would have known. And he's not saying in the, te- like in the, the reporting itself that Jesus is saying, and according to Joel, I like, he's just saying, this is what it's going to be like. And so he's framing Jesus in that, uh, as affirmation that Jesus is in fact the God of Israel, like they are one in the same. Um, and so everything that Jesus is saying, like we can, we can take his truth and we can begin to understand what this day is going to be like a little bit more than just some of those prophecies that we've been carrying with us that don't seem like they necessarily connect perfectly. All of a sudden with Christ, it all comes together and it makes sense. And, and as I look at this, knowing that he's the shepherd, I, when I, when I look at, um, verses 34 through 36, and his talking about separating the sheep and what the sheep look like. For me, as I list, look at this list, these are all the things that he has done or is getting ready to do. He's offered, he's offered us the bread of life. He has offered us living water. Mm-hmm. Um, he's offered us relationship. He's invited us on this journey. Um, he's... He's clothed us or offered the ability to be clothed in his righteousness. Hmm. We have been bound in chains and he's made a way to set us free, to heal us of, of, of this sickness within us. And so, and, and we've been, as I said, locked in chains. And so all these things he's done or is getting ready to do. And so for me, I look at this and as the, as they ask, like, like, when did we do these things? Well, when he invited us to go on this journey and we lived that out before men, we were doing these things. Everything that he's, he's this list that he's given them, he's already done. And he's asking them, he's been asking them this whole time throughout Matthew. He's been asking those who, who follow after him to, to emulate what he's doing. And right. so this is where, to me, he's setting the stage. He's basically saying, I've done these things. And this is what I'm expecting for you to do if you want to be a sheep. Well, and it's an important conversation to have because as we jump into 26, chapter 26 next week, Jesus is going to turn to his disciples and say, listen, it's coming and I'm going to be crucified. The son of man is going to be handed over. And so he's, I mean, this is really kind of his last teaching moment before the, this narrative directing him right straight to the cross comes in. I know the the whole, his whole ministry has kind of been working that direction, but this is kind of the last, you know, mm. what what's his last message to them going to be? Of course, it's going to be an invitation to participate in the life that he lived. Which he'll tie up in a nice bow at the very end. At the very the end. Commission. We're coming. It's coming. We've referenced it a few times over the last number of shows now. I think uh, as I... As, as we move on through the passage and, and we get to that block, you know, of, of 34 uh, through 
what is it? 30, no, 40. 34 through 40 is the, the address to the righteous. And then 41 on is the address to the unrighteous. Um, and something that, that stuck out to me as I was spending some time with this is the response of the two different categories again. Um, so the righteous, Jesus says essentially the same thing with the opposite word, like inference to both groups, right? You saw me blank X, Y, and Z, and you took care of it. And to the others, he said, you saw me X, Y, and Z, and you did nothing. And both of them respond, when did we see you that way and do something about it, right? Or when did we see you that way and not do something about it? The thing that stuck out to me is the righteous people, the ones who are living a life essentially emulating Jesus, Derek, as you were kind of, as you were addressing, the ones who lived a life emulating Jesus thought nothing of their actions. Like they were just living life as they knew to live it. Like it wasn't like they were doing X, Y, and Z in an effort to retain some kind of reward in the future. And that we are alerted to that reality when Jesus comes to them and says, you did this. And their response is, wait, when did we do that? Because for them, it wasn't about that. Like it wasn't about trying to check a box to try to get to eternity. It was just living the life that Jesus had called them to live. It was just living a life of love. Whereas the unrighteous, their, their motives are exposed. He says, you know, you, you saw me this way and you did nothing about it. And they said, well, when did we see you like that? It's almost like they're saying like, well, if we would have seen you, Jesus, we would have done it. But because it wasn't you that we saw, we didn't think anything about it. And it's like, they just, they're exposed for who they are. Like they, they are simply motivated by looking good in front of the King. And if the King's not there, they're not necessarily worried about it. And so I don't think I had ever really pulled that out, at least like a, a, a an inference of the heart of each of the individuals in the different groups. But I, I think that became very apparent to me this time as I was working through this passage. It really kind of, like stepping back, kind of seems similar to last week with the, the servants, where the first two, like... I don't think they were expecting anything for right. for growing what the master had given them. But because they grew what he gave them, they did what was expected. Mm-hmm. They got to share in the happiness of, of the master. And much like you said, it exposes a heart issue on those of the unrighteous or the wicked servant where, you know... Um, the wicked servant was trying to uh, not be judged by a harsh master for, you know, trying not to lose his money. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, and, and then in this instance, um, I think what you said really rings true. It's like, well, if, if the king's not here, like I want to be seen by the king, like I want something for me out of it, not to honor the king. Right. And so I guess with that conversation, I mean, where where the question it brings me to is I, I feel like or 
the observation it brings me to is I feel like it brings us to a place where we are invited to examine our motivations for why we do or why we don't do what we do. Either what we are doing or are not doing. Like what is the motivation for our actions or lack thereof? Um, are our motivations motivations rooted in love or are our motivations motivations that are concerned with the image associated with the action or inaction? And I, I think that begins to expose maybe a little bit more. Natasha, earlier you were having this conversation on um, the fruit or the root. Um, and I feel like when we start having the conversation about motivation, it begins to tease out the fruit and the root in our life. It, like, is this simply, am, am I simply motivated by the fruit and the attention that that fruit is going to get? Or am I motivated by the root that exists because of the love that I have for my father? And then the rest of it, I'm just not really worried about. Like, all I'm worried about is Jesus, falling in love with Jesus and allowing Jesus to work in my life. And what happens after that is just Jesus working in my life. Man, it makes Christianity so simple. Yeah. <laughs> Hard, but simple. So I have a question. In verse 40 and in verse 45, it talks about the least of these. Um, and one, depending on your version, one says, least of these, my brothers and sisters, or just my brothers. And then sometimes it just says, least of these. Um, who exactly is Jesus talking about here? Good question. Well, so before before I attempt to, I don't know, at least share my thoughts on that, I want to be really careful to make sure that what I'm a what I'm about to say isn't heard through an improper lens. So just because we're going to narrow the scope of who this applies to, uh, this passage of caring for the least of these, uh, just because we're about to narrow that scope does not absolve us as Christians from caring for the least of these universally. universally. Um, so having said that, Elsewhere in scripture, when we've talked about the least of these, or we've when Jesus has referenced his brothers and sisters or, or the little children, all, yeah. all of these groups refer to believers. So those who are following him, those who are the disciples of Christ. And so I think that in this in this particular instance, Jesus is using his, his statement almost as a word of encouragement to help his disciples begin to, in their hearts, navigate what is going to come. Uh, Jesus is aware of what the Great Commission and his sending them out with the talents he's given them is going to cost them. And he, right. he's already instructed them, don't you dare bury these things, right? I've been given them, you've you been, not. You, I've given them to you so you can share, right? And so that you can multiply. That is your objective. And so knowing this, Jesus also knows that they're going to be up against a lot and that life is going to deal them a lot of hardships as a consequence 
of their faithful efforts in following him and doing what he's asked them to do. And so in this particular passage, I think this comes as an encouragement. So Jesus knows that they're going to be encountering these 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 situations that leave them needing clothing or need leave them needing care while being sick or or um, care while imprisoned, etc. And so Jesus, knowing that these things are coming, is trying to help them keep their focus on Him in the midst of all these things, recognizing that it doesn't need to be their focus to take care of the justice part of this conversation. Mm. He is God. He is just, and he is going to see who is caring for his disciples and who is ignoring the needs of his disciples. And he, he will sort that out at the, at the, the last day, and it will be his to take care of that injustice. And so really this, this leaves the disciples kind of with this, I don't know, in a, in one sense, there's this bleakness about what's coming, though I don't think they've fully grasped it. But on the other hand, there's this great peace, recognizing that they serve a master who sees all things, he sees the heart, and he's going to handle the injustices in a very just way. Mm -hmm. So to try and restate, to make sure that I'm, I'm understanding what you're saying, there's maybe a couple of perspectives that are held about this particular passage and who it's speaking to and what it's talking about. And one popular understanding I think that I have always carried as well into the conversation until more recently, um, as I've listened to other people and, and done some reading of my own. So one of them is like, this is a conversation about just all people receiving judgment based on how they treat other people just in general, like it's just this blanket conversation of you will be held accountable for your actions in life. Um, and this other piece that you were bringing into it is this conversation on Jesus really encouraging his disciples to let them know that essentially to, to say it plainly, the Gentiles and others will be held accountable for how they either did or did not receive you in my name. Like whatever they did for you, however they helped you, they will receive accordingly. However they did not help you or did not receive you, they will be handled accordingly with that as well. And so this conversation on like all are going to experience judgment. And so take heart. I've got this. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And so I think as we reflect on that part of the conversation, um, perhaps it's worth considering our own reactions to the ways that we're mistreated um, or not received when we're about his kingdom's business. I really feel like it, and I think one of you guys alluded to this, it takes the pressure off of us to feel like we have to be defenders of how we're responded to or how we're treated by the world. Like we feel like we're, you know, we got to defend 
ourselves or other Christians. And maybe there are instances where we do have to defend one another, but I think this is God's way of like absolving us or, or Jesus's way of, of absolving us from that need to feel like, you know, we got to take on the world with a, with a super soaker. Like that's not our role in this. Our role is to take what he's given us, to take the talents that he's given us and, and, and put it to use and, and, and reproduce and, and grow the kingdom of God. And those who reject what he's given us, like, it's not going to be our place to, to play judge in that. And so often I feel like I have felt in my life like it was my place to judge and take like take God's job away from him when that is not my role in this equation. And I think maybe that's what maybe part of what Jesus was trying to reiterate to to those following him, to the disciples that, you know, in this you're gonna face a lot. Judging's not your part. Just keep giving what I gave you. Keep living, keep serving, keep loving, and I'll take care of the rest. And I'll be the one who separate. And I will see what has happened with those who were faithful over what I gave and those who rejected what I gave. And, and so my job is not to judge. My job is to take the talents that he's given me, take the gold that he's given me, and go increase it go reproduce it. I think these things can become such a distraction to our need to advocate for ourselves, mm-hmm. our need to fight our own battles, um, that it, it, it distracts us from applying our talents well and from building the kingdom well. And I think Jesus knew that this would become a distraction for us. And so I think, when, when, at least when I think about our the present church, I feel like we've become very, very distracted mm-hmm. by issues that really are not, they, they don't, they aren't our responsibility to, to preside as judge over. We have the responsibility to grow the kingdom. And so we, we need to make sure that our focus remains on Jesus and our focus remains on helping other people focus on Jesus. Right. And, and, and when we, when we do that, when we simplify everything, everything falls into place. And then he says, but when it doesn't, I'll take care of it. That's funny. I, it, this conversation reminds me of a conversation that I had with an employee this week. And she was taught telling me about some things that had happened and how she was upset about the way she was treated and all this stuff. And I know that she is, um, I know that she's a Christ follower. We've had conversations about that as well. And she just looked at me and she said, I know I shouldn't feel this way, but I really hope that karma is real. And man, if I'd have had this information, you know, if I'd have, if I'd have, you know, known what I know now, I could have encouraged her with, you know, he's going to take care of it for you. You know, you just focus on continuing to do what you do and doing the best you can and share what he's given you to share and he'll take care of, he'll take care of the rest. I feel like this conversation like makes me think about what we've been through in the last three years as a church in America. 
and the conversation that has been had heavily about like this idea of being oppressed and of um, our rights being taken away and persecuted. And we as a collective church, now that's not me saying that every individual, a part of the church participated in this, but the overall movement of the church seemed to be, at least mainline church, seemed to be like this really strong response against in opposition to this like taking away of my rights or this oppression of my freedoms where it was almost like we felt like we had to stand up and correct the injustice. We had to address the injustice that was occurring and let everybody know that it was wrong and everybody to know that that you know it, this is not what it should be. And as I think about that, kind of like what you were saying just a moment ago, Tosh, it's it's just a huge distraction because during that time, whether it's an injustice or not, like I'm not making even a commentary on that more. I'm saying when we get so focused on the injustice rather than on the just one, we completely like lose our, our sense of direction. We, we lose our true North and we just start into a tailspin. And, and if we can't have our focus on Christ and Christ alone, how can we expect other people to even see Christ in the midst of this chaos that's ensuing? Well, and I don't, I think we should be clear standing up for injustices is not really what we're talking about here. What we're right. talking about is injustices that are committed against us Yeah, because we yeah. can, we can handle it because we have an advocate. Right. Mm. Right. Yeah, that's good. You're right in that fact that like we have an advocate. And so when something is committed against us, like, again, like Jesus is going to take care of that either way. Right. So we shouldn't be responding on our behalf, but that doesn't take away, I would say, even the expectation of us being the advocates of others because we are supposed to be Christ. Right. Like we are Christ here and now we have been called to be Christ here and now and to live as Christ lived and to be as Christ is. And if Christ is our advocate, that means that we are to be the advocates of others, which means we do need to stand up for injustice. But like you said, there's a differentiation between the injustice that we see happening towards others and the injustice that we are receiving as a result of being a Christ follower. And I think too often we are very quick to stand up in opposition to the injustice we receive as a Christ follower and not so quick to stand up always. I would, I would, maybe I should be careful because there's a lot that, of people who do stand up for the injustice that others face. But I would say we're probably not as quick to stand up against that injustice as we are against the injustice that we too often receive. In this move of preparation and being prepared in the coming judgment, like there is a call to continue the work and leave the judging to him. Like keep doing, live how I lived, and I'll take care of the rest. Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast 
to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.